This is a Triple J podcast. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack Podcast. As the fighting continues in the war between Israel and Hamas with no end in sight, there's a lot of anxiety about Australians caught up in the violence, if they're safe, how to get them home. Not only that, there's been some really disturbing stuff that we've seen at protests here in Australia, and politicians and police are planning for things to potentially get worse. We're going to be getting into this story in a bit. Also, we spoke to the Yes campaign this week. Now it's time to put some questions to the no side. Liberal Senator Karen Little is going to be joining us. First, though. Hack. The death toll in Israel has reached more than 1,200, while more than 900 have been killed in Gaza. On Triple J. Yeah, the death toll in Israel and Gaza now in the thousands. We don't know when it's going to stop increasing. Among those figures, an Australian citizen. That death confirmed over the past day. And as you've been hearing this week, the situation is so volatile. It's no wonder that so many Aussies there, whether they were living there, whether they were holidaying, passing through, they're trying to get home. Shalala Medora's got this update. This is heartbreaking news um, this morning for the family of this particular individual, her community here in Australia. Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill confirmed to Channel 7 this morning that an Australian citizen was murdered by Hamas militants in Israel over the weekend. Her name was Galit Kaboni and she was a grandmother in her 60s. I'm devastated for um, the people who knew her but also to the broader Jewish Australian community. The Jewish community here remains largely in the dark about what's happening to friends and family following the terror attacks in Israel. All of my family is in Israel, apart from me. Israeli citizen Tai Bahar lives in Australia and says he had cousins at the Supernova Festival. He doesn't know what's happened to them. There's still other people that I know and everyone that I see on my social media that's looking for someone, either their family member or a friend that's still missing, still unaccounted for or have been murdered. That's the reality of what's going on at this stage. The Australian government is now facing pressure to do more to get Aussies out of the conflict zone. Housing Minister Julie Collins said Australians should get on the first commercial flight home. Leave if you can commercially as quickly as you can. Uh, we're obviously looking at what, all, what other options are available. We're looking at all options uh, to keep as many Australians safe as we can. Uh, I understand there's around 10,000 Australians currently in Israel. Aussie Keanu Vincente says Australia should put on repatriation flights to get more of its citizens home. I feel a bit uh, stranded, especially when I'm seeing constant other repatriation flights coming from other countries. So it it would feel a a lot safer and a lot uh, more guaranteed to have the Australian government doing those flights for all of the Australians here. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has announced that the government is working with Qantas on government-assisted repatriation flights, which will start on Friday. There will be two flights to begin with, and we are working on additional options. Meanwhile, the situation in the region continues to deteriorate. Israel has sealed off Gaza, with power and water shut off, and no food, fuel or medical supplies being allowed in. This Palestinian journalist says there's nowhere safe for civilians to go. What I've experienced in the past days is like nothing I ever experienced in my whole entire life. I obviously expect that there would be a response, but honestly, that intense, no one expected that. Israel's defense minister vowed revenge. Gaza won't return to what it was before. 
We will eliminate everything. If it doesn't take one day, it will take a week. It will take weeks or even months. We will reach all places. There is no way that our brothers, our children, our parents will be killed and we won't react because we are a state. Hamas has reportedly been posting graphic videos on social media in what Israel calls a psychological assault on its citizens. The humanitarian situation in Gaza was extremely dire before these hostilities. Now it will only deteriorate exponentially. Head of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, said civilians in Gaza are in urgent need of aid. And I appeal to the international community to mobilise immediate humanitarian support for this effort. And he gives context on what led to this escalation of violence. This most recent violence does not come in a vacuum. The reality is that it grows out of a long-standing conflict with a 56-year-long occupation and no political end in sight. It's time to end this vicious circle of bloodshed, hatred and polarisation. Hack on Triple J. Shalala Madora with the latest there on what's happening in the Middle East. If you or someone you know is in Israel and they need to register for those repatriation flights, they need more information, there are some numbers to call. So you can find those numbers on the Smart Traveller website and the number changes depending on whether you're calling from Australia or whether you're overseas. The ABC News website also has the numbers there so you can find them on ABC News. Look, the world is continuing to react to what's happening in Israel and Gaza. And you would have seen there have been protests, vigils, rallies around the globe, including here in Australia. One in Sydney that's made a lot of headlines this week was a pro-Palestinian rally that was held on the steps of the Opera House in Sydney while the sails of the Opera House were lit up in the colours of Israel's flag. Now, some protesters were chanting anti-Semitic slogans. It's led to a whole lot of condemnation. Let's find out more. Miles Holbrook Walk is one of the reporters following this story. He's with us now. Good day, Miles. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, always a pleasure, Dave. Let's go back to earlier in the week. What happened on Monday in Sydney? Yeah, so basically you have this group of people. Some people have pegged it as many as a thousand. Others are saying it was more like 500. But essentially they're people who are coming out to march in solidarity with Palestinian struggle as they see it. Now, this isn't about the attack that was carried out by Hamas. It's more looking at the retaliation that's occurred from Israel as well as some of the broader and longer historical context that starts at Town Hall and immediately it's it's a pretty charged moment because you also have some other people there who are Jewish who have also uh, brought along an Israeli flag and they kind of say, well, if you're going to stand here and protest, I want to be able to stand here and say, well, I want to assert the things I care about and stand for right now. And so from there, it already has a bit of an energy to it that I think we can say is, is tense. But What happens afterwards that probably is the thing that you may have seen is that these protesters go from town hall and they march down to the opera house. Now, along the march, it's largely peaceful. There's no reports or incidents that police have spoken to us about. But as the protest comes towards an end, where the opera house has this blue and white, the colours of the Israeli flag on there, that's where I guess you can kind of call it towards the right at the end, this pandemonium kicks in. Flares are being let off. There's videos, again, of these really hateful and quite disgusting, frankly, phrases spoken about Jewish people. The videos surface 
and people, whether it's politicians, you know, significant people within the Jewish community, even radio broadcasters are now starting to weigh in being like, how the hell did this happen? How can we allow in Australia people to say these kind of things on the steps of the Opera House? Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of condemnation over the past few days, uh, especially from politicians. New South Wales Police, they've announced this crackdown on protest activity. What have they had to say today? Well, basically what they've said is they weren't happy with what happened on Monday night in terms of conduct of the people that, you know, did those things and have been filmed doing those things. They're now going to start reviewing all this CCTV footage and they're not ruling out charging people for their conduct. You know, obviously, you know, you can't light a flare in most of those situations. And they're saying they're going to set up this operation to basically look really closely at it. They're also looking towards a rally that's going ahead and scheduled on the weekend on Sunday, which again is going to be a quite a broad group of supporters of Palestine and the kind of solidarity with Palestine movement. Yeah, interesting. Let's have a little listen, Miles, to the police now. Here's the New South Wales Acting Commissioner, David Hudson. We will be doing further communications uh, closer to the time frame once negotiations with those organisers have been resolved. However, at this stage, I would encourage people not to attend that assembly on Sunday that is currently proposed because they do have no protections. Right, okay, so we're hearing from police they're advising people not to go to protests uh, that are planned. What's been the reaction from, uh, you know, politicians but also the communities involved, the Jewish and Palestinian communities, uh, about what's happened at these protests? So I think it's really worth acknowledging that the actual organisers of this protest, the Palestinian Action Group, they're like, we don't support anti-Semitism. If you're going to come to these things and be anti-Semitic, Islamophobic, any sort of kind of espousing of hatred, that's not what this is about. And, and they're really at pains to say this shouldn't be occurring. What's interesting is the Premier of New South Wales, Chris Minns, he's seen all this and he says... I don't care if organisers have said that. You guys have lost the right to even host these kind of things without us saying you're not welcome to do this. And and that's where he kind of blew up today in the media. The protest organisers have already proven that they're not peaceful. Shouting racial epithets at Jewish community members is not the definition of a peaceful protest. So the idea that they're going to commandeer Sydney streets is not going to happen. So do we know, Miles, if the protests are going to go ahead or be blocked? So what's really interesting is we basically have three different answers from the key stakeholders. The first is the Premier saying they're not going to commandeer our streets, this isn't going to happen, which frankly, you know, he can say that, but whether or not legally that stacks up is hard to really know. The police are saying they believe the organisers won't go ahead with the protest, which flies exactly in the face of what organisers have said today, which is basically we should be able to civilly demonstrate and and hold these demonstrations without kind of fear of suppression of this expression. We're going to be there and we're not kind of turning away from these opportunities to come together. However, there's going to be a lot of police in Sydney City on Sunday. Well, it's definitely a lot of emotion and it's developing every day, this situation. We do appreciate your take on this. Reporter Miles Holbrook-Walk, thanks for coming on Hack. Yeah, always a pleasure, Dave. Hack. If you are no supporter and you think that this no vote's going to get up, don't take it for granted. You've got to get out and vote. On Triple J. Yeah, just a few days away from the voice referendum. Every day on Hack, we're going to be bringing you different arguments, giving you information. We've already spoken to the Yes campaign this week and we're able to put some of your questions to Rachel Perkins. Now it's time to do the same with the no vote. 
Liberal Senator Karen Little is with us now. She's an Arundel woman and she is campaigning for a no vote with the Liberal Party. Senator Little, thanks very much for coming on Hack. Thanks very much for letting me join you. We spoke to the Yes campaign earlier this week and I asked a similar question, so I'll ask it to you as well. How would voting no improve the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians? Well, I think that's not the only question that's being asked in this referendum. There are two parts to a single question. I don't think what has been explained at all in this process is how another committee, another advisory group, another working group is going to improve the lives of Indigenous Australians or the advice that is already provided. I guess the argument from the Yes campaign would be that the voice wouldn't be like any other advisory committee or working group because it would have the backing of the Australian people. The Australian people would have endorsed it if they vote yes. It'd have some credibility because it'd be in the constitution. And also because it's enshrined in the constitution, it would be protected. So it's not really the same as comparing it to any other group. Well, I think um, you've raised a couple of issues there. One is putting it in the constitution itself. And uh, I sat in those committees and I heard some of the um, most experienced and learned illegal minds. And the reality is they couldn't agree on risk. They determined that any risk that might exist was unquantifiable. And I believe that all Australians, including young Australians, have proven that they think very carefully about the constitution and how important it is. And that is a particular issue beside improving the lives of Indigenous peoples. I don't think I've spoken to one person in all of my conversations that has not said they are completely aligned, we're on a unity ticket for improving the lives of Indigenous Australians. But what they say to me is just not this voice. But how do we improve the lives of those First Nations people if we're not trying something different? What's the alternative? Because that's going to be a lot of listeners now are going to say, okay, fair enough if if the coalition wants to campaign for no, but what's their plan? What are they putting forward as a solution to these huge problems that we've got in Australian society? So I come from this with having been born and raised in Alice Springs along with my um, colleague, um, Jacinta Nab and Jim Price. And uh, three times um, since we've been in Parliament in the last uh, 16 months, we've put up propositions to look at where the rubber hits the roads, those organisations that receive a considerable amount of Commonwealth funding, uh, funding that goes direct to programs, to organisations, but also goes to the states and territories for health, education, housing, employment programs. And we put up a proposition to look at two organisations Both of them had hit the headlines about issues within their organisations and they're working through those processes to determine the validity of some of those claims. However, there was absolutely no appetite for a simple inquiry to ask from the voices of the people who those organisations exist for, including those organisations that are non-Indigenous organisations who receive Indigenous-specific funding, to actually look at what's going wrong What's working? What's not? What do we need to do more of and less of? Absolutely no willingness from the Greens, from the Labor Party or from Senator Pocock. But wouldn't the voice actually be a tool to examine or or even provide advice? Like, you know, having a voice, it doesn't have to be one or the other. You investigate funds being used, organisations. The voice could complement in that help with looking into these issues and the impacts on communities. Well, it's not clear what this 
body will actually look at. We've heard, you know, it'll look at things from education, health, housing, but we've also heard it's going to be a framework for a treaty. None of those things are yet clear, and yet in a couple of days' time, we'll be asked to change our constitution forever based on not having the detail. But isn't it also the responsibility of parliamentarians like yourself to create what could become the voice. Australians are voting on whether it should exist and whether it should be enshrined in the constitution, but it's politicians from all sides that can craft the plan and can decide how it would be made up and how the people on the voice would be chosen from what areas they'd come from. That's to be decided by the politicians. It's their job to figure that out. So there's been a lot of information and there's a lot of confusion and we still have that confusion a few days before. Um, What came out of Uluru back in 2017 is exactly what the Prime Minister has taken to the Australian people. There hasn't been appropriate level of consultation with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. So the further out you go where they are saying the rubber hits the road, that's where the action is needed, um, don't have information, are more confused. This is Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Liberal Senator Karen Little, who's campaigning for a no vote in the Voice to Parliament referendum. Rachel Perkins from the Yes campaign says the no campaign has been responsible for one of the biggest fear and smear campaigns in Australia's history. How do you respond to that? I think that it's appropriate to present the facts. And I've sat in those committees and I've presented it as I've seen it. Um, I'd ask people to go and read the Yes and No brochure that came out to everyone. Do you admit, though, that there's a lot of misinformation out there that is going by unchallenged? So are you uh, maybe, she may be referring to things such as this proposition is, is a simple proposition and then it seems it's not simple anymore. I'm talking about blatant lies that are circulating within the community. Do you think politicians should have done more to debunk some of this misinformation that is out there and confusing people? You know, they talk a lot about misinformation and disinformation, but I've not had them say to me, here's a specific example. I'm happy to hear them, um, but I'm not necessarily happy to comment on them because I wasn't there. I mean, examples that we're hearing all the time and our listeners have spoken to us about that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders will be given um, tens of thousands of dollars in compensation each if if the voice is approved. It's, It's stuff that is circulating that isn't being challenged. Well, I think I've heard that once from someone and I've corrected that. Um, And I think that's the responsibility of everybody that hears that information. But, you know, I've I've also heard things that this is going to change people's lives. And quite frankly, I think there's a lot of people who uh, think that is unachievable under this model. I think it's really important that people stop being distracted, stop being distracted by celebrities, by jingles, by advertising, and thank goodness I think that all stops tonight. I think we're all pleased about that in terms of the paid advertising and actually looks at the facts. Senator, some of the arguments that we've heard from the No campaign have included that this has divided Australia and if the yes vote comes off and wins, it would divide Australia, the voice would divide Australia. 
The figures around Indigenous disadvantage in this country are shocking, as everyone agrees. As you said, life expectancy, eight years shorter for First Nations people. Uh, In some places, there's a 14-year gap in terms of infant mortality, suicide rates twice as high for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders than non-Indigenous Australians. How can we say that Australia is not divided at the moment? Because that's what it seems. We can thank the Prime Minister for that, for the way he has conducted himself in going into this referendum. What about successive governments for a lack of action? I mean, and that's both sides of the debate here. But this is a referendum where the Prime Minister chose the time frame. He chose the no compromise proposition. And yet here we are. And the people most likely to be affected by this are Indigenous Australians already doing it tough. And that's where my mind goes when I think about the effect and the divisive effect uh, of this referendum held in this way. Can I just say that those issues that you raised are issues that sit with states and territories. I think it's incumbent on the federal government not to just hand that money over that's called general revenue, but to actually get some accountability for that money. Because there's nothing worse than just putting more and more money in because it goes to the states and territories and there's very little accountability. Senator, the polls have put the no case in front. That's what all of the opinion polling's been showing uh, consistently. But a lot of polling's also suggested that young people are more likely to vote yes. Is there a risk that the Liberal Party's going to really alienate young people with its position on this referendum at a time when it desperately needs young people's support? Well, I think uh, I have a lot of hope in, in young people. I've Young people are smart enough to know they shouldn't be voting on vibe. They shouldn't be voting because a celebrity is telling them to do so or that a sports star is doing them to, telling them to do so. The Australian constitution belongs to all Australians equally is what I believe and people should make an informed decision and not vote on vibe and that's why the words, if you don't know, vote no, I'm so confident in because the detail quite simply is just not there. What do you think it means for reconciliation in Australia if if the country votes no? Well, you know, I heard like other Australians, um, Noel Pearson saying reconciliation will die with a no vote. So I asked the head of Reconciliation Australia directly because I thought that was rubbish. It is the responsibility of all Australians to do their bit. It doesn't belong to Noel Pearson. doesn't belong to Senator Karen Little. It doesn't belong to you. It is our responsibility of all of us. And the head of Reconciliation Australia says, No, our work will continue. I do think, though, there is a lot of work to be done to repair the harm this referendum done in this way has done uh, to Indigenous Australians. I think that's where my focus turns. All right. Liberal Senator Karen Little, thank you very much for joining us on Hack. Thank you. We've got some messages on the text line. Someone says, I do really enjoy the fact that you're doing the no vote part of this, you know, journalism exercise. I don't know which way I'm going to vote. I just want the best for First Nations people. I don't want to be involving politicians. Well, sometimes you do have to ask politicians, I think, especially on something like this. Someone else on the text line, the voice does nothing. Another person says the no side has overcomplicated this and spread so much fear and misinformation. The division uh, argument is utter rubbish. That was from Brad. And somebody else says, I feel really privileged to be living in a country where we have the opportunity to listen to the voice of people we share this land with. The contrast of what's going on in the Middle East is not lost on me. Lots of different opinions there. We are going to keep talking about these big issues throughout the week. 
the Senator spoke there, though, about some celebrity endorsements. That's a good segue to this bit. Hack. The latest iteration of Yes campaigning, it's random Australian B-grade celebrities holding their hand up and writing Yes on their palm. On Triple Jack. Yeah, if you've seen nothing else on The Voice, it's probably some celebrity endorsements, messages, whether it's actors, athletes, musicians, pushing either the yes or no case. Here's a few of them. Ooh, the countdown to the big day, October 14. I got down early and voted Yes. The push for an Indigenous voice to Parliament has been given an unexpected boost with American basketball legend Shaquille O'Neal throwing his support behind the initiative. And here he is. Shaquille O'Neal. Hey. How are you? How are you going? Good to Hello, see you. Australia. Nice to see you. So I was trying to yarn about the voice, right? Now, it's detrimental to the people and not just baffles to everyone. No voice, no choice. Come on, Australia. Vote yes. US rapper MC Hammer has spent much of this weekend in an online fight with no voters after he tweeted his support for the Yes Camp on Friday. So hang on, Kamal, you were originally saying no and then you went to yes. So are you back on no? Yeah, because no because it no is an informed decision. I'm voting yes because I don't um, I'm not happy with the status quo and we need change. So don't take my word for it. Listen to an actual bloody expert. So I think yes is the only way to go yeah. because I don't know where no takes you. Yeah. Would that be your half-time address? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> but, you know, I'll be voting yes. To me, I feel like it's a intuitive next step and seems to be an important and practical way to help Indigenous Australians and, and recognise them in the Constitution. Yeah, that's why I'm right in a yes Hack, Triple J. Yeah, a whole bunch of messages there. Maybe you recognise some of those voices. Collingwood captain Darcy Moore, you know, whether it's Briggs, Miranda Tapsell. Uh, also, a huge number of Australian of the Year recipients signing an open letter urging people to vote yes. So does all this celeb endorsement actually work? Well, Dr Andrew Hughes is a political marketing expert from ANU. He's with us now. G'day, Andrew. Thanks for coming on Hack. G'day, Dave. Always great to be on. Uh, you Have you been surprised by the scale of celebrity endorsements that we've been seeing during this lead-up to the referendum? Yeah, I have been, actually. There's been a lot out there and, and across the spectrum, too, like everyone from arts, entertainment, sport, um, you know, prior politicians. I noticed Malcolm Turnbull the other day getting out there with his Yes T-shirt on. I thought, wow, we've got a whole range of people here and they're all supporting it. So at the same time, the effect is something I've seen which is different this time around. Um, normally if you have a song like John Parnham, The Voice being used, which is the first song that's ever been used in an ad campaign, you'd be going, wow, this song's really going to cook things off. They'll get that momentum they need. But we haven't seen that effect this time around, mainly because people no longer trust celebrities. There you go. Oh, that's a big statement. Andrew's it, said it. The celebrities, uh, not who we're turning to for our political advice, maybe. I don't know. What, what do you think? If people see their favourite sports stars, actors, whatever up there, do, is it has it been effective in the past? Yes, this is the thing. It's effective in the past, but in political campaigns, less effective. Um, one of the findings we found from COVID, this is really interesting, um, when they had COVID advertising using celebrities, not so effective. When they use real doctors and real nurses, who we could see was real doctors and real nurses, way more effective. 
So that was the first sign that perhaps the celebrity power would have translated into um, using in-health campaigns or other campaigns outside the category they're famous for. We started to go, hang on, you guys are maybe even paid for this. Maybe there's some other catch here which we can't really understand or see or recognise. So we didn't trust the message as much as we would say if they were um, sponsoring a brand of soft drink. So it's only been the last few years this effect has come through. There was a great ad, I won't say great, I should take that back, um, an ad by Kendall Jenner with Pepsi in America, which was based around Black Lives Matter campaign, which backfired badly. And everyone's going, well, hang on, huge celebrity. Why did that ad not work so well? And it's just, okay, the ad itself wasn't fantastic, but the way they also expected her then to be able to be successful because she was in the ad was one thing also I didn't really understand that much. Like she was probably a good reason why it didn't work so well. And had they used someone more normal, maybe it would have worked and had a lot more power to it. Interesting. That is fascinating yeah. kind of research and shows that society, maybe the way we view celebrities changing a little bit. Just quickly, Andrew, the media blackout starts tonight. People might have heard a bit about this. Can you just give us a quick explanation of what that is? Yeah, TV, radio, no ads at all. So you're safe on TV and radio. Um, and what I mean on TV and radio, I mean uh, free-to-air, so commercial TV. So if you have pay TV, um, it can be a little bit different. Or streaming service should be a little bit different as well. Um, but online and print, so if you still read a newspaper, um, it is free from the advertising blackout law. So in other words, um, if you're into digital and social media, you're going to find lots of ads. And what that's what we found in 2022 in the federal election. Um, people were just moved onto those platforms. And this is the other thing too. A lot of the content you're going to see won't be ads anyway. It'll be stuff people are making um, themselves and putting it on platforms like TikTok um, and Snapchat, Telegram, Signal, all those type of what we call the dark social media mm. where you think you're safe from being advertised to, you won't be. So sorry, but we're yeah. marketers. We want to track you everywhere. Oh, it's interesting stuff. There's definitely going to be a lot of analysis in the fallout to the referendum, whatever happens this weekend. Dr. Andrew Hughes from ANU, thank you very much for coming on Hack. Thanks, Dave. Anytime. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you next time. Hack on Triple Jack.